0: Hello, everyone. I'm Will Fulton. Welcome to Thrillist Best and the Rest. It's our weekly podcast about the best of the best in food, drink, travel, and entertainment. We have a really big topic today. Best movie films of the decade. Movie films. films. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we don't want to waste time. We want to get right to it. I'm here with the Entertainment All-Stars, senior writer Esther Zuckerman.
1: Woo, Hi.
0: Hi. (laughs) staff writer emma stefanski what's up senior staff writer dan jackson how are you guys today we're good hello yeah,
2: yeah we're <laughs> great we're ready to go
0: yeah we're all revved up we had some coffee before some cold brew uh in truth realist fashion we're drinking a little bit of celebratory maker's mark um so cheers guys thank you for coming
1: cheers <laughs> cheers
0: here you go uh i saw a lot of movies this year i'm one of you One of us, one of us. Join our team. I will say, I saw the majority of these films at either Nighthawk or Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. And if you're unfamiliar with that mode of theater, they have assigned seats, they have a little table in front of you, and they have servers that bring you alcohol and food throughout the movie. I had always wondered, you know, why theaters haven't always done this. It seems so obvious. Are you guys a fan of that mode of theater? Yeah, I love it. Yeah,
2: I was just at the Alamo this weekend. I saw Frozen two. Ooh, had a great time. She's gonna
1: start belting into the <laughs> yeah. Unknown. Oh my god, she's gonna hit that E flat. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I'm a fan. I grew up in LA. Um, mm-hmm. And LA, I think, is sort of notable for having a lovely movie theater going experience because it's Hollywood. Tinseltown. Um, it? And I grew up with the Arclight theaters, which never had food and drink options delivered to your table, but always had reserved seats, mm. alcohol, sort of a nicer viewer. And I think the theater experience largely, I think one of the stories of the decade is that the theater experience is dying. Um, thanks Mm. to Netflix, but places like Alamo and Nighthawk are sort of striving to keep it alive. Alamo has the, like, please don't use your cell phones at any time or you'll be booted out of the theater. I'm not as huge a fan of the... I I don't love people running in front of me while I watch a movie, but I do think they are nice inventions in the sense that, like, they make going to the movies an event, which they've stopped becoming.
3: Yeah, I I have a little bit of... uh... Skepticism about the the reserved seating aspect. of I find That's that some the of it some of best it, part. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think some of it makes what? going to the movies more like air travel. I like the idea of like get to the theater, run to your seat, like, <laughs> and you. So you just like things to be stressful. It it's inevitably going to be a little stressful. I also I, I've had just bad experiences where in crowded theaters where like I've been in a seat and then someone says like oh like you're in my seat. Did that happen to you? It did. This did happen to me. Yeah, no. It... Yeah. yeah, no. Well, Dan, I, I know. It got it, it, really quiet. The yeah. No. So yeah. that must
1: have been really hard for you. It
3: was. It was terrible. And I, I just, yeah, I think if they're gonna I'm do so it, everybody sorry. needs to know. You can't show up 15 minutes and try to get a seat that is, you know, yeah. not yours.
0: As a person that's consistently late, I appreciate the seat reserving system. Uh, Thrillist Entertainment Director John Sellers. I was talking to him about this, and he said he likes the reserve seats because he likes to buy the seats around him, so no one sits next <laughs> to him. Which is a unique take, but it makes sense. Yeah, that's disturbed. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly I, what I would imagine. I mean, and we also, saying...
1: if we're having this good discussion, we have to shout out Thrillist contributor, friend of the pod, Jordan Hoffman, mm. who wrote a story about this for Thrillist.com.
3: Yeah, it was a good story. It's it a said, good
0: story. He said, And uh, he uh, sided with Dan he's <laughs> on my <laughs> side. Yeah. Is he? Oh, that's definitely an interesting take. Looking back at the 10s, the teens, I don't know, whatever we call it. I think the 10s. The 10s. The 10s, nice. At a glance, one big thing that pops out, for better or worse, uh, the decade dominated by Marvel, approximately $22.5 billion worth of revenue from those films. On a scale of Martin Scorsese yelling on his lawn to 10, 10 being the highest, how much do you personally enjoy the Marvel movies?
2: Well, I haven't gotten any of that Marvel money that everyone thinks we're getting.
1: (laughs) Everyone (laughs) thinks critics are getting paid off by Marvel, but...
0: People think that?
1: Yeah, every time. Honestly, they're mostly DC fanboys. Mm -hmm. Whenever a Marvel movie gets somewhat positive reviews, the fans of the DC universe get... Sort of up in arms.
0: It's not like the reviews are like glo- overwhelmingly positive all the time. I mean, yeah,
1: we've sort of know, gotten sick of them. Yeah, yeah. We the critics. I mean, just like the normies. I would venture to say that Dan is the most anti-Marvel of all of <laughs>
3: us. Wow, yeah, I'm definitely going to. Emer- Based on these topics, I'm going to emerge as the resident like hater. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as yeah, the the Marvel decade, uh, yeah, I mean, it was there were a lot of superhero films. I mean, there were superhero films obviously in the ten or the the decade before, but they were kind of still emerging. I think they were a little bit sort of stranger you had things like Ang Lee's the hulk and mm. you know these kind of like odder movies that sort of emerged which wasn't good i mean i disagree <laughs> I, i'm a big fan i'm a big fan of that movie Are but you? like yeah yeah um but like i think you know this decade it was like they became more streamlined it was like they definitely marvel in particular figured out a kind of formula and then they've made some fun deviations from that formula that obviously people enjoy a lot um but yeah they've definitely kind of figured out how they're going to make these things going forward Um, And, yeah, it shows very few signs of people getting tired of them.
1: I I sort of think of this as the Disney decade. It was sort of the decade where Disney bought everything. Sure. um, And figured out a way to sort of make themselves an unstoppable money-making force. A lot of credit behind that goes to Kevin Feige, who had what i think you have to admit whether or not you like these movies or not is a sort of brilliant idea and a brilliant strategy because essentially when the avengers came out in 2012 everyone realized if i want to be participate in this cultural conversation at all i have to see every one of these films in order to get what's happening in the next one i also think like it's important to note that like as successful as disney and marvel was many other cultural properties tried to follow suit and most of them failed. I mean, the DC movies ended up making a lot of money, but they were sort of seen as largely pieces of shit, except when they sort of stood on their own, like Wonder Woman or Aquaman or something that sort of got weird and fun.
0: Do you have a favorite Marvel movie for me? Uh, It's Thor Ragnarok and it's not even close. It's a great movie. It's really the most enjoyable one. Dan, what do you think?
3: Um, I would say Black Panther is sure. probably my mm-hmm. favorite most one. I think so that's the different. one that um, you know plays the most like a movie and has kind of some really interesting, fun performances. Definitely.
2: I like Iron
1: Man. Original. Number one. Yeah. It's so good. Not this decade though, right? Yeah, I think it was, what, 2008? 2008 and- yeah. I missed it. I'm going to go with Black
0: Panther too. Yeah. Yeah. Safe choice. Easy choice.
1: That's my <laughs> goal, just to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> my initials. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Speaking of easy, Netflix streaming. I'm torn. <laughs> I do genuinely like the ease of being able to go, like, you know, I think that recently Marriage Story came out, it seemed like everyone I knew watched it in the same weekend.
1: Yeah. And I like that. But and I, everyone had a lot of bad opinions. Yeah,
0: oh my god. Yeah, we want to be talking about everyone that. Everyone
1: was fighting. Everyone <laughs> yeah. got divorced.
0: But that also is fun because you know, you feel like you're 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 in a moment and I feel like Netflix facilitates that, but I am someone that does love to go to the movie theater. Um Do you think that there is a place for streaming and for theaters? Do you think they can coexist peacefully or do you think that has to budge somewhere, that something has to give?
2: It is interesting that like now with Marriage Story and I guess with Bird Box, Netflix has sort of replicated like everyone going to see the same thing on like quote unquote opening weekend. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um... Which is weird. And I guess it's the kind of thing where, like, if you can do it in the comfort of your own home, like, it's that much easier than for everyone to be able to see this stuff. And I get, like, the whole argument for streaming, which is, like, making it easier to get stuff out there to everyone. Mm-hmm. But I guess the argument against that with Netflix is, like, they rarely market the stuff that they have that's not, like, a guaranteed
1: hit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see how much it's changed between these two years. Because, like, last year they had Roma, a critically lauded... I think, beautiful film, yeah. they did a similar release as they did for Marriage Story and The Irishman, didn't generate the same sort of conversation. That's for many reasons. It's a black and white film yeah. that is entirely in Spanish, so it's not going to generate the same conversation as a Martin Scorsese movie or a Bobok movie starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Um, but it does seem like this year they're sort of inching towards a more perfect model because you also see they did these sort of stunty theatrical runs for The Irishman and for Marriage Story. So it does seem like they're sort of inching to a more perfect union. I mean, I think Netflix has both funded these projects from, you know, brilliant directors that they wouldn't have gotten the money to make otherwise, and they are somehow keeping cinema live in that way on the other hand i think like the majority of netflix's film output is not up to par <laughs> sure. yeah, i was gonna say yeah it's so it's I mean, like it is,
3: it's funny to think about like you know i guess uh, *Beasts of no nation came out in 2015 yeah. and that was kind of the first netflix original which was also positioned kind of as an award movie um they've definitely in the last year it seems like sort of released two movies that have kind of perfected that you know way of gaining a lot of social media conversation a lot of critical attention which would be irishman and marriage story but yeah i mean in general i think esther's right that they release so much and a lot of it is not that and but also like a lot of people watch those movies um i've watched way too many of them Um, speaking personally Yeah. yeah um yeah and i think uh, we're in an uh, era now of there's kind of like a bounty. There's a, it's a plentiful Netflix time. They have tons of cash. They're just funding things. They're greenlighting things. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to keep that rate of productivity going. Check. I mean, I think
1: generally, like another sort of Netflix problem is like. Without the sexual connotations, it's sort of like the Netflix and chill idea. We're not Which talking... is what,
0: Esther? <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't mean – and I don't mean Netflix and chill, like, come over to Netflix and then, you know, you're we'll not. make out or whatever, <laughs> you know. I mean Netflix and chill in the sense of, like, more like, yeah, you're sort of vegging out and yes, watching Netflix. Ha- it's ha- not like – Committed
3: viewing. Yeah, not, exactly.
1: It's not really like an active viewing, and it's interesting sort of seeing that applied to something like Irishman or Marriage Story that is not a bird box or – Something sillier
3: fractured. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure. No, start naming Netflix that no one will know.
2: I really wanted to see uh, *Irishman* in the theater because I knew that I like would not be able to pay attention to it. Like, given like how long it was and everything, like it's great. I really loved it, but I knew that like I needed to be sat down in a seat and
0: like forced to sort of watch everything that happened.
2: What do you want to know? You want to know if I did it or not?
0: <laughs> and that's why I prefer to see movies in the theater because I get distracted very easily. Yeah. I saw The Irishman in the theater at Nighthawk, actually, and I ordered two separate meals during the back. <laughs> it's terrible. True. It's really true. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with some categories about the best of the best of the past decade. We'll be right back. Uh, okay, so first up, actor of the decade. That's a non-gendered term. My pick overall, I'll go first here, is Amy Adams. Um, By my count, she's been in 17 films this decade. Wow. Nominated for four Oscars, The Fighter, The Master, American Hustle, and Vice. Uh, All great performances. She stood out to me specifically because I feel like she consistently steals the show from, especially mostly male cast members. It's usually Christian Bale she's stealing the show from. And it seems like she does it effortlessly, aside from the movies I mentioned, um, She's been in The Muppets in 2011, where she was singing and dancing. She's led movies like Arrival, which I love. Um, even something weird like Nocturnal Animals. Um, weird, wild, and fun. I like it. You're like, you ate it? totally forgot about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did no- not like it. But, yeah. no. No. Well, I do think that um, she's obviously a movie star, and she has this grace and gravitas about her, but I feel like she's a real person, and when I watch her, I'm never like, that's Amy Adams. I'm like, that is... Whoever she's playing, and I, I really appreciate that. Emma, who is your actor of the decade?
2: Uh, actually, as I was going through these, I realized that all of my picks are men. So sorry, women. But- yeah. <laughs> Classic Emma. I'm a handsome. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm gonna get canceled. Uh, Cancel Emma. I got- <laughs> it's gotta happen one day. Uh, my pick is is Adam Driver because. Mm. I think we've sort of watched him in this decade in particular become, like, as famous as he is. Like, he started in in Girls, which was what, 2012? 2012. 2012. 2012. And he went from that to, like, working with pretty much every, like, major, major, major director that's working right now. Like, he's worked with um, Steven Spielberg and the Coen brothers and Martin Scorsese and Jim Jarmusch and uh, Steven Soderbergh. And now he has, like, a million things coming out at the same time, which I feel like is something that, like, you see that happen with actors and you know, like, okay, well, they're here now. Like, they've made their place for themselves and we're going to be seeing them for a long time. And I really, really, really love him as an actor, too. I think he has, he has like, a very strange, interesting face and way of carrying himself. (laughs) (laughs) Say more. (laughs) Which we've talked about before. Hey, say more. (laughs) Go further. I got it. Anyone who follows me on social media knows how I feel about him. Uh, but I yeah, for the people I think who
0: don't—he's
2: fascinating to look at, <laughs> okay, and he to beg. watch on screen. He big, he's big. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um, and I just—I can't wait to see. He's one of those people who like I cannot wait to see what he does next. And I really like—I feel like he's one of the last um, sort of actors where I go see the movie because he's in it. Cool. So that's my answer.
3: Dan, what do you think? I, I found I struggled with this one of all the categories, I think, because actors have uh you know often they take a lot of roles and a, a decade can kind of be a weird span of time. and yeah, but uh, there were two in particular that I'm gonna cheat a little and do two, but I, i'm gonna
1: I'm gonna do, do three. Well, okay, so that's just that's
3: gonna fine. cheat more. I might as well do 12, I yeah. think. <laughs> but like, they were, but they're both in um, um, one of my favorite movies of the decade, which was um, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, and that would be uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Tom Hardy. Totally, yeah. Charlize Theron was also in Prometheus, which I would say is the other, <laughs> my other favorite blockbuster Hell of yeah. this decade. Prometheus Rules. Hello, Oliver. Welcome back to Purgatory. <laughs> and you know, in Tom Hardy. I don't know they they're both actors who like uh, Emma was saying about Adam Driver you because they're in, participating in something you're going to go see it. Charlize Theron in particular like even when she's in movies that I don't know if they totally work like something like Tully which was a movie that uh, I I love Tully. Uh, yeah, I, don't know, I had like <laughs> mixed feelings about but I thought she was incredible in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like you know this year's The Long Shot she was really good in and uh, even in movies that you maybe don't totally work she's often really fascinating and and I mean Tom Hardy is uh, equally fascinating. He's <laughs> even fascinating when what he's doing doesn't totally work. Sure. Um, which I think is a rare quality for an actor. I mean, in the previous decade, I didn't really know what to make of him. Like, I remember he was in Bronson in 2008, yes. which was kind of a very bizarre movie that I remember being like, it's a Nicholas Winden Reifen movie. And I was like, kind of like, I don't know how I feel about this, but then he was in Warrior. He was in Locke, which is a great movie where he talks about concrete and drives all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, he was in Mad Max Tree Road. And then he was in Venom, which is one of the fucking weirdest right. superhero movie movies. Yeah, one sure. of the He's eating weirdest. the lobster. He's eating the lobster. He He's doing the all tank. the voices. I am here to fulfill Raza Ghul's destiny.
0: Of course, in the Dark
3: Knight Rises. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, he's, he's yeah. in the Dark Knight Rises oh, doing a, a weird Bane voice. Yeah. That, was, that was the worst Bane voice. <laughs> yeah. He's got a whole bag of tricks that he's always pulling from. <laughs> and that can be exhausting, I think, mm-hmm. um, for some people who don't find the bag of tricks kind of uh, entertaining. but Or endearing. Yeah, or yeah. endearing. I don't know, he's great. I love Tom Hardy.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Um, okay, the first one I was thinking of sort of purely from a... This is someone who is the rare person to win two Oscars in a very short amount of time and has sort of came on the scene and immediately established himself as just one of the most captivating screen pieces in recent years Is Mahershala Ali. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Who basically, almost similar to Adam Driver, had this very quick ascent starting in TV and then gave the most wonderful performance in Moonlight. more controversial performance in Green Book, but was still incredibly Mm -hmm. good. Like one of the good things you can say about that movie, which is not a lot. um, And is someone that has a range. He can be funny. He can be this actor of amazing presence and seriousness um, and is going to be in stuff for decades to come. I think like the fact that he has two Oscars is this sort of almost miraculous, like, you know, crowning um, by The Hollywood Academy and especially in an era where black actors still don't get the attention that they deserve largely by these sort of governing boards of the industry. Um, The other one I was going to say, which is just a personal favorite, who is Saoirse Ronan, who we basically watched grow up over Mm. this decade. Like you start, you think about like the beginning of the decade, she was the little girl in Hannah. Now you she's know. a
3: little woman. Now she's a little Now she's still a little woman. Um,
1: but I do think if she gets nominated for Little Women, this will be her fourth Oscar nomination, which is wild. I mean, I she has sort of become this avatar for young womanhood in a way that I think few have been able to convey, especially giving her performances in Brooklyn, which is sort of an underrated movie this decade, which I think is just gorgeous, and mm. Lady Bird, which is great, and Little Women, which is great, and this collaboration between her and Greta Gerwig is Phenomenal. Um, And then the other one I would say, um, which is somebody I just thought about, is Melissa McCarthy. Okay. I'm glad he's single
2: because I'm going to climb that like a tree.
1: Bridesmaids come out in 2011. She established herself very quickly as one of the few bankable comedy stars. Now, she made a lot of crap this decade. How do you Um,
0: mitigate the crap and the gems, you know?
1: Well, I think she also made a lot of gems. Like, I think one of her underrated comedy performances is Spy, which is one of my favorite comedies of the decade. Spy is amazing. What happened to comedy over the course of the decade is sort of something that's interesting because, you know, Bridesmaids kicked it off. We wrote about this in our um, in our movies that define the decade, sort of proving that there was a market for female driven comedy. Now that we're at the end of the decade Um, It's harder and harder to make money off of a big studio comedy. There are fewer and fewer that are sort of hitting. Um, The Good Boys hit this year randomly. She's someone who came out of television. You know, many of us know knew her from Gilmore Girls, and she was on Mike and Molly at the time. She was, she was just. Sort I of,
0: totally forgot about
1: that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: when you said that, when it's a she when she was nominated
1: eyes. for Oscar for for Bridesmaids, um, and she sort of made this leap to movie superstardom and was a bankable star in the likes of you know Adam Sandler or somebody like that. I think her career is like a really interesting portrait of the decade.
0: I think a couple of people, too, that, you know, you ask, their names will come up. Leonardo DiCaprio is one. He's had more than a few iconic roles this decade. Inception, Gatsby, Django, Blood Diamond, Wolf of Wall Street.
3: They're going to need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here. Yeah, I feel like his, like, reluctance to do a lot of stuff, though, makes me less inclined to, like, reward him in a yeah. category like <laughs> yeah. this. I'm sure. more excited by actors who are going to take on a lot of right. stuff. And That's obviously- a good point, yeah.
1: I also thank you for talking about, like, what defined this decade. Like, he had a lot of great roles, but I still think of Leo in the 90s. That's yes. still sort of, like, you know, where I place him. I was sort of, as I was thinking about this category, I was thinking of more people who broke big during the decade.
0: Uh, skip to another big one. Director of the decade. I will let, I uh, must start on this one.
1: Uh,
2: Well, my pick is another dude so... I feel like I should, like, apologize for doing that. I don't know why.
0: To who? Women. To women.
2: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say, and this is actually someone who did not get big in the tens, got big in, I would say, the aughts, the knots, the, nots, the mm. Uh is Christopher Nolan, who might not have made a ton of stuff, but he definitely, like, had this enormous rise to fame, granted doing... Franchise movies, the Batman movies, Batman Begins 2005, right. and then Dark Knight 2008, which I just rewatched uh, like a month ago. And pff, I freaking love that movie. It's so
0: great. Oh, it's God, so good. I
2: cry so hard. Uh, and then. C- wait,
0: I'm sorry. You cry? I
2: cry. Yeah. That movie makes me cry. The Dark Knight? Yeah. The end when like Gary Oldman has his big speech about like, we have to chase him. And I'm like,
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I <laughs> so like, don't chase Batman. They
2: don't want to do it, but they have to. <laughs> <laughs> But then Nolan did – he did Inception, and then he finished up his big trilogy with The Dark Knight Rises, which I like a lot, which, again, Tom Hardy is in. He does mm-hmm. his cool
1: voice. Uh, one Gotham's of.
2: Gotham's Reckoning. One of many. <laughs> is that, is that, <laughs> better? Is that, is that better? I think you
1: need to do a bane impression for every segment <laughs> during the rest yeah, of this podcast. By the podcast. end, it's going to be really
2: great. <laughs> uh, uh, and that sort of – that movie kind of marked – like, it came out in 2012, but I think it marked sort of the end of, like, non – like – enormous superhero franchises because like immediately after that DC and Warner Brothers sort of started to do the Batman thing again and it didn't really work out Uh, but maybe it will with the new movie no shade to Ben Affleck (laughs) or all shade to Ben Affleck (laughs) Uh, and then he did Interstellar and Dunkirk which were both incredibly good interesting original stuff Uh, can I do my Dunkirk impression please home
0: (laughs) very good I loved Interstellar. I, I, it's like, I did. It's good. Yeah. I thought
2: it the first time I saw it. I think I saw it like after I had heard like a bunch of buzz about it, and that was sort of when I was in my big like be a dick about sci-fi phase. Uh, and I are was are you like, out of that
0: now? Yeah, okay. I'm
2: so <laughs> chill now. Uh, but during that, I was like, oh, this movie's like silly. Like I don't, whatever. Uh, and I watched it a few years ago again, and I was like, oh, I was an idiot. This movie's great. Yeah. And the you know the music is wonderful. He's Nolan is like one of the guys who sort of got Han Zimmer like up in the he's now like a soundtrack
1: rock star um so yeah he's my guy I was thinking more immediate and, like, I I, I admit that I had trouble with this because sort of thinking about, like, the portrait of the decade. Sure. I sort of went the opposite and sort of thought of, like, who emerged in this decade and who, you know, sort of immediately established themselves as, like, a new auteur. Um, And two names came to mind, and the first one was Jordan Peele. I was thinking about him for this, actually. Yeah. um, I think Jordan Peele, I mean, I think also if you're looking at sort of what defined the conversations around the decade, like with Get Out and with Us, which is sort of more of a looking back at the horrors of America um, in a way. Um, But he sort of tapped into a lot of our current anxieties and will continue to do so. And we really don't know what his next big film is, but I think Us proved that Get Out was no fluke. And Yeah, I think that name is going to carry weight from years forward. Another person's only made two movies um, so far. That was my other sort of pick is like, okay, she came out of this decade and is going to be big as Greta Gerwig. She started the decade sort of collaborating with Noah Baumbach on these two uh, co-writing these two films, yeah. um, Frances Ha and Mistress America. And then she sort of came out of the gate swinging um, with Lady Bird. And again, sort of similar to the way Jordan Peele came out of the gate swinging with Get Out and then us sort of backed that up proving like, okay, he's sort of a, a new master at this craft. She did the same with Little Women, um, which is sort of a beautiful, brilliant adaptation um, of a classic novel and proved she could do something sort of, you know, in a period guise, something that was sort of bigger, more studio driven than um, Lady Bird. Uh, So I think those are two people um, who, if you're sort of looking ahead, are going to be, as we move into the 2020s, will be continually making amazing films and studios and um, financiers are looking at them to sort of be future voices.
3: For my best director of the decade, I think I was thinking a lot about volume, which is probably not the best way to think about <laughs> this. But part of me, The like, Netflix I, model. There yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of directors who I really love who made movies that I admire a ton. But maybe if if they only made, for example, like three movies, I'm a little bit like I was like, uh, is that enough?
0: Is that how you think?
3: <laughs> I don't know. I, this is kind of how I think, which is sad. Um, <laughs> But honestly, the, and the, the filmmaker who ultimately I was—I kind of wanted to shine a light on. and I was thinking maybe some people will either, have either not heard of or aren't familiar with was um, Frederick Wiseman, who's a Jesus documentary Christ. filmmaker. Oh my god! Dan. Okay, and he's great. All right, and, all right. So Frederick Wiseman is this director who is 89 years old, which I could have chosen another 89 rising old, star, which is Clint Eastwood, is yeah. another 89 has made a lot of films. But Frederick Wiseman directed a bunch of movies in the last 10 years that. Are like really fascinating and provide this like particularly at Berkeley, which is this movie about the college campus. Mm -hmm. So for people who don't know, he makes these movies that often involve going to a location, filming almost every aspect of some system and then kind of editing it together in this documentary where there's often very few of the things that people associate with, I think, modern documentaries like, you know. Uh, voiceover or interviews or like you know graphics that explain things i would say like particularly at a time when a lot of people have started to get more into documentary films because of netflix and hulu i think people are more open to them his films are still kind of jarring to some people because they lack a lot of the kind of like formal features of A more slick like documentary that you might watch now um they're often very slow they're often very long one of them is about the new york public library it's called ex libris and it's incredible yeah they're they're really gripping he made this movie last year called monrovia indiana which is really striking and sort of like haunting and it's all about this town in indiana he follows all these different aspects of the town and you meet different people and they're just they're so unique and he's such like a singular artist and these movies are so engrossing and they've gotten really ambitious in the last 10 years and I don't know, when I was thinking about like a filmmaker who just made a bunch of things that I was like, these are great. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was the one that my brain kind of went to. I was like, Frederick Wiseman. I was like, great documentaries in the past. But I also personally got into his films in this past decade. And I've started watching more of them more. A lot of them are available on Canopy. If people have a library card, you can access Canopy and stream them there. Um, yeah, they're really good. So, Where would you start with him? I would start with one of the recent ones if someone's curious. I mean, like he made a movie called Boxing Gym, which is not as long and it's about a boxing gym.
1: I mean, this is one of the kind of fights you can't wait to the next Saturday to see.
3: Okay, but you sort of you get a good taste of his style, and I don't know, they're very moving and thoughtful and fascinating. And they, if you want to know about systems and how America works and how capitalism works, I would say go watch <laughs> a couple of Frederick Wiseman movies, and you might come away and be like, oh, that was really fascinating and different from what I expect from a documentary.
2: Did he do um, in Jackson Heights? Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. I saw that one.
3: Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah, well, that's good. I I
0: like you thought about quantity as well as quality. Um, so I pick is uh, Bong Joon Ho. He released four movies. Nice. Mother, Snowpiercer, Okja, and Parasite. Um, every one of those is just one word, so it's very easy for me to remember. That's what, <laughs> no, but um, I think about those four movies, and after I saw each of them, I left the theater just thinking about it for weeks later. He, more than any other director, consistently surprised me, which I think is very valuable. Um, He might not define the decade, but he at least released enough movies for me to consider him my favorite. Yeah.
2: He's great. Great. Okay.
0: All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about the best movie year of the decade. So stick around. Okay. So the best year for movies in the 2010s, I will start off. uh, This is big time recency bias, but... Hear me out. 2019 has been a great year. It's been excellent.
2: Can't argue with that. Yeah. I'm
0: just going to rattle off some movies. Little Women, Knives Out, Uncut Gems, The Lighthouse, Parasite, Booksmart, The Farewell, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Midsummer, and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. But I'm interested to see what you guys think, Dan.
3: Was 2007 the year with No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think like a lot of people now think of that as the best year of the previous decade. Right. And it'll be interesting to see if a best year emerges five years from now when people start to think about this decade and with a little bit more perspective. Sure. If I had to make a call now, I don't always remember what's year to year. So I was wildly like Googling movies this year and mm-hmm. like scrolling through Wikipedia articles trying to figure this out. And I think I would go with 2017. Okay. I just, that
1: was my pick too.
3: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like there's just a – it's a particular year where it's like there's get out. Um, You know, like Lost City of Z, uh, Good Time. There's also just a bunch of like movies that in different genres that really hit in different ways, like Girls Trip, Logan Lucky, um, Brawl and Cell Block 99, which is a movie that I (laughs) thought was very weird. Um, Or even like just fascinating experiments like, you know, like Mother, these movies that were very divisive and kind of came out and there was a lot of either debate or conversation about it. Also Phantom Thread kind of ended the year, which was incredible. Like any year there were also bad movies that I'm not naming right now. But it did feel like, like at a time when there was a lot of anxiety about uh franchises and it was like all of a sudden there were all these kind of really strong, yeah. singular new voices and new movies that kind of hit in an interesting way. It was
1: actually, 2017 was when Netflix went to Cannes mm. and you got Okja and the Meyerowitz stories, which were sort of the first signs that Netflix was interested in producing sort of prestige work. And both of those are like fantastic movies from people we've mentioned earlier on this podcast, Noah Baumbach and Bong Joon-ho. So I think it's sort of an interesting turning point in how movies are being distributed and um, yeah, I agree with Dan. Um, I think 2017 is like a super strong year where a lot of defining talents came out of it. For me personally, like the movies that really stuck out when I thought about it were Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, Shape of Water, Dunkirk, Phantom Thread, which is probably one of my favorite movies of the decade. Um, yeah, f- Florida Project, it, a ghost story. Um yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I also went for 2017. I think it's just like a very strong year across the board. Okay. Well, Please disagree with us. I'm going to go
2: way back in time to 2015. Oh. No, whoa. Right in the middle of the decade. I was sort of doing the same thing that Dan was doing except on my like Letterboxd account. 2015 for me was actually like the year that I was getting into film writing, like writing about film as a job. And so I was paying more attention to stuff. Um, it's like funny to see like the shift like I've watched maybe 40 movies in like the early part of the decade and then like 80 movies and like a hundred and some movies like later on. Um, not to brag or anything. Six stats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why you should follow me in my,
0: my
1: account. What is
0: Letterboxd?
2: It's like this thing you like log the movies that you see. I use it basically just because I forget everything that I yeah, watched okay. and I would like to be able to go back and be able to see and what I liked. And then people write reviews on it. Yeah and they argue and they're mean to each other. I don't Sounds do Sounds great. Uh, but for me, 2015 just had like banger after banger. And there were like weird, like (laughs) little things too. Like you get like your black hat, you get your world of tomorrow, tangerine, (laughs) the witch, Jupiter ascending.
3: I'm so glad we're talking about Jupiter ascending and black (laughs) Black hat. hat. I might have to retroactively change my choice from 2017 to 2015 because I had forgotten that Jupiter ascending and black hat came out the same year. Yeah. What a glorious time.
1: I create
2: life! Sicario. Sicario. Uh, 45 Years, The Invitation, Furious 7, Spy, Spotlight, uh, Spotlight, Mad Max, Fury Big Road, short. Magic Mike, XXL, an extremely important movie. Mm. One of
1: the defining works of our era. <laughs> the Man
2: from U.N.C.L.E., the hottest movie I've, I've ever seen,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Carol at the end of the year, yeah, 2015. It's so good. It and was, it was sort of like on the cusp of like franchise anxiety too, I felt
3: like. It was also right on the cusp before every movie was sort of then received as like what it says about the Trump era. Right. Yeah. So yes. it was like the last kind exactly. of uh, the end of the Obama era of movies. And the, we're
2: having a great time still. <laughs>
3: yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a shift that's coming in. The,
0: Simpler times. Down mm-hmm. the line. Katy Perry ruled the charts. Yeah.
2: The bitch. Right. I'm right. You're I'm just right. so right. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's back it up. Uh, okay. <laughs> Best movie of the decade. It's a big one. My pick, I could only feel good about myself if I told the truth. And the truth, I think, is The Social Network is the best movie of the decade. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook,
3: you'd have invented Facebook.
0: I think it definitely fits the vibe of the decade, even though it was made in 2010, the first year of the decade. I think it set the tone. I think it's really about the American dream. I think it's about inheriting power versus creating your own power. I think it has shades of Citizen Kane and... In a lot of ways, I think it laid the groundwork for this kind of cocky, disruptive paranoia that would take over the internet and the world for the entire decade. You have the regatta scene, which is Fincher just showing off. You have the opening convo with Rooney Mara and Jesse Eisenberg, which I think is just excellent. It just sucks you in. Even the exposition of who Sean Parker is, the sex position, should I say, (laughs) um, with the one I sent is just brilliant, even though it's It's wildly unbelievable. Yeah, with Dakota Johnson, which is kind of, you look back on it differently. I think it's wildly entertaining. The score of Yatticus yeah, Ross and Trent Reznor, obviously, it was extremely relevant when it came out. And somehow, almost 10 years later, it's even more relevant. Um, I know you guys mentioned, it and you're excellent, the 10 movies that tell the story of the last 10 years, which is a really smart way to attack... Uh, the best films of the decade, which we're kind of doing here, but yeah, I just think it's great. It's it's something that will stick with me forever, and just overall, it's one of my favorite films of all time. So
1: I think it's really interesting because Sorkin and Venture and the script was sort of uh, lambasted for taking a lot of uh, creative liberties with the story of Mark Zuckerberg. Oh yeah, um, when it came out, um, and one of the reasons that I think it feels so right right now, in addition to being like wildly entertaining, is that is partially because it feels like it was almost predictive in the way that they talked about this person. Um, And that sort of creating him to be a, a lot of them was like, "Eh, he wasn't that vindictive. Like he wasn't that, you know, obsessive. And it's like, if you look at sort of the path of Facebook and the liberties that Facebook has taken with privacy, um, sort of, right?
0: I do remember a lot of People were, you know, writing about and talking about, you know, take it easy on Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. But, and now it's laughable. But it, that was definitely a thing that was happening.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Um, Good job, Will. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, guys, thank you so
0: much. <laughs> um, Esther.
1: Okay, great. Again, like, you know, I think The Social Network is one of those things that, like, if I'm picking a movie that defined the decade, I definitely, like, pick the social network. Mm -hmm. If I'm picking, like, one of my personal favorites, um, I would pick Phantom Thread. I think it's just, it's just, like, the most sumptuous experience I've, like, (laughs) ever had at the movies while being coy and funny. I think it is, one of the most beautiful films to look at. Um, It is Paul Thomas Anderson, who is a director who has made three amazing films. He's one of the few directors who we still sort of rely on for consistently good content. And this was sort of him. (laughs) Hmm. He makes good content. That's what important.
3: Just incredible content. (laughs) And the word. Some great content. (laughs) (laughs) I,
1: I think he's one of the few filmmakers that we rely on for always being sort of at the top of his game um and phantom thread feels like if not his masterpiece one of his masterpiece the script is so yeah. funny it's so weirdly upsettingly sexy i want you
2: flat on your
1: back i've never felt as like oh my god i can't believe this is <laughs> where like this movie is going yeah way, you know. yeah i i like you know because you see
0: that at alamo do you have a big chicken sandwich or front of you?
1: <laughs> No. Okay. Um, I saw it at BAM. Um, no, but, you know, it's one of those movies that sort of, ca- you keep waiting to see where it's going, and then it becomes this beautiful S&M strange, it's strange thing, um, and I absolutely love it. So, yeah.
0: Emma, what is your pick for the best movie of the decade?
1: My pick is
2: Mad Max Fury Road, which I saw. I think it's the movie I've seen the most times in the theater. I saw that movie five times, uh, and I saw it three times in IMAX. I remember seeing it opening weekend um, and absolutely just, like, knowing that, like, movies are going to be okay. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I I just completely wrapped, like, everything, every frame of that movie is absolutely perfect. Like, you're watching art being made in front of you, and it turns this entire, like, mythos of Mad Max on its head by, um, instead of focusing on the title character, introducing these women to the story who then become, like, the people that you're really rooting for. Uh, and then there's the wonderful scene where uh, Tom Hardy acts as, like, a gun stabilizer for Charlize Theron. And it's, yes. it's just great. <laughs> and it's completely crowd-pleasing. It's a giant movie. And I just, like, I wanted to see it a Bajillion times and I almost did.
3: It also has a guy playing the guitar that shoots uh, yes, flames yeah, out of it. Right. Uh, and that's a so so do for so yes, good. For you.
2: I recently, I rewatched the movie just because, you know, I wanted to make sure I was right and I am. Mm. Uh, and that <laughs> shot is like this in, the, 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 like big like pan, this big crane shot and you go around and you see this like, oh, it's like a big car. Okay. And it's got like stuff stacked on it and then it like, comes around. It's like, oh, they're amps and there's a guy playing the guitar and then he's playing the guitar and then flames start shooting out of it.
0: Yeah. It's fucking awesome. My mom. <laughs> who still gets grossed out by thinking about Mortal Kombat, loves Mad Max Fury yep. road. I mean, it's it's just, he could be 12, he could be 85, yeah. he could be Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> and he would still love Mad Max. It's it's, it's so does enjoyable. Clint
1: Eastwood love Mad Max? <laughs> oh, I bet We should ask him. Yeah, we, we, should, should. we should have
2: him on the pod. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also, it's like very environmentally conscious, which I feel like in 2015 and that year was like where we were kind of It seemed like that's where we were headed, and now we're sort of not. I
3: mean, it's one of those movies you can read in a bunch of different Mm -hmm. ways, and it's lending itself to a lot of different interpretations, which is, I think, part of why people like to go back to it.
2: And they had that whole, the black and chrome or whatever, like the black and white cut, which is really great. Right, yeah. yeah. It's Shiny and chrome. Shiny, Shiny. Yeah, Shiny and chrome. It's Witness me.
0: It does a great job of world building without beating you over the head. You yeah. know, you can read into it as much as you want and you can learn about uh, the world as much as you want. It depends on how much you want to pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. It's it's infinitely rewatchable. I think the only reason I didn't pick it because, like, I kind of have to be in the mood to watch it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be, have, like, the right experience. You're like You can't sure. just watch it on your computer. Yeah, what are you doing? or your phone. Your
2: phone. I do, actually, I remember seeing... Uh, Uh, they had like a comic con trailer i think in 2014 that they released like the year before it came out and i remember like i was on tumblr at the time and like people were talking about it Mm -hmm. i was like what is this and i watched it like oh my god this looks so good and it's still one of the trailers that i watch all the time just because it's that and the social network yes yeah that
0: the uh the uh kind of choir scene creep is so perfect
2: oh and the mad max soundtrack is so good i could talk about that movie forever i'm probably i should stop now
0: because (laughs) i Dan.
3: My movie of the decade? Your movie of the decade. Um, I also love Mad Max Fury Road. I love Phantom Thread. I love Social Network. These are all great picks. Um, I I think my pick, I was thinking just of a movie that meant a lot to me that I remember seeing it and having just kind of this incredible experience watching it, which was uh, The Tree of Life, the mm. Terrence Malick movie, which is kind of from the beginning of the decade. And um, for people who maybe don't remember, it's you know kind of about – a young boy growing up in Texas. Brad Pitt plays his father. Jessica Chastain plays the mother. Um, and it kind of moves throughout his life. And then it has obviously this kind of very cosmic component to it that people maybe don't remember as well, but it's just kind of like, you know, you see Sean Penn plays him later in life. And it was directed by Terrence Malick, who obviously made Thin Red Line, Days of Heaven, some of these great, you know, movies from the past. And it was just kind of this like culmination of his style and his sensibility and all these kind of ideas that he had about faith and meaning and you know and it's just a rich movie that is has so many layers to it and it's just like so just rewarding and it's funny because i think like a lot of people really loved it when it came out and now like over the last decade he's continued to make films that maybe people aren't as excited <laughs> about um i actually like a lot of those movies yeah. um but what th- has he made recently um like? i mean like he has a new movie called um a hidden life that's coming out that's very, very it's good. really um, good. Yeah. But he also made this movie called Song to Song, which mm-hmm. was kind of set around the Austin music scene with um, Michael Fassbender and Rudy Mara and, you know, Night of Cups, which was with Christian Bale um, and the film To the Wonder with Ben Affleck. But yeah, I mean, and I think maybe the reputation of those movies or the way they were received has kind of like colored how people think about Tree of Life, maybe unfairly. I yeah. Mean, I was having a conversation about this with a friend recently and he was like, yeah, it seems like. If he had just made Tree of Life and gone away for a long time. Like <laughs> or they, died. like he Something, did, yeah. Or well, like After Days of Heaven where he kind of like didn't make a bunch of films and it kind of grew in its reputation. Um, but I I kind of disagree. I like that he kept making movies. I mean, I don't know. He's incredibly talented. And I mm-hmm. really admire those movies. And Tree of Life is just one of those experiences that's kind of this sublime you know, film going experience that I'll remember forever where you're kind of just – it's like seeing 2001 A Space Odyssey for mm-hmm. the first time where yeah. you're just like, oh, I didn't know – you could make movies like this. And, the yeah, it's uh, it's great. And, you know, even it's got a meme now where people say, Father, <laughs> father, you wrestle inside <laughs> yep. of me. So even this, uh, yeah. you know, great movie, this, like, masterpiece can still be kind of, uh, you know, corrupted Anything by the internet. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can be a meme if you want it. Anything can be a meme if you work hard enough. Yeah. There's
2: also dinosaurs in Tree of Life, too.
0: Yeah. I like that. Oh, I forgot about the good dinosaur. Yeah, oh, there, there you <laughs> go.
1: I'm going to um, retroactively change mine to cats. W- after I see Cats.
0: <laughs> yeah, full disclosure, Cats so has not been released at the time of this recording, so...
2: Yeah, take all of our picks with a grain of salt, <laughs> because we haven't seen Cats yet. They were,
0: you know, I feel like four disparate, very good picks. Um, some other names that just come up on other publications that are doing things like this. Get Out, Moonlight, 12 Years a Slave, Holy Motors, Whiplash, Melancholia, Bridesmaids, Boyhood. All great films. Yeah.
3: I, the Boyhood is one I thought about in relation to Tree of Life. They're mm-hmm. kind of similar. Okay, good decade. Uh, I want to... Yeah. <laughs> 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 for us <laughs> I want to close out looking
0: forward to um, some predictions to the roaring 20s as no that's already taken to this new 20s Esther if you have a prediction for what film will be like in the 20s something you'd like to see a hot take really whatever you want because it's the end and no one's listening anymore uh, <laughs> what do you think?
1: Um, Honestly it's a very confusing time I think um that you know, the next year is going to bring this wave of streaming services that I think are largely, um, you know, predicting the oversaturation of content for television, but also will have this impact on movies. Um, And, you know, will the cinematic experience survive? And I think, like, yes, it will. It will be harder and people have to sort of carve out their spots. But I do think, like, there's a lot of exciting things happening in film. Uh, I think... And I guess this goes back to my guilt at
2: picking boy things for this podcast. I think we will be seeing a lot more female directors. I think there's like a very conscious shift now within the past maybe five years of like letting a woman have a shot at <laughs> some bigger stuff. <laughs> and I think it's like it's partially because like Hollywood's sort of op- opening up to it more. And I think it's also partially because like studios are becoming a little bit more self-conscious about like having women working for them, which I think is like it, that's not really like the point. I don't want studios to hire more women just to hire more women, but I think mm-hmm. it's a good thing nonetheless to do that. Um, so I think we're at, you know, sort of a turning point or maybe we've passed the turning point. Maybe we're in in the, the good place, the good stuff now. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for.
3: My prediction for the next decade is uh, the Snyder Cut will be released. <laughs> um, go to hell, I am dying yeah. Dan, to see go it. Go to hell. <laughs> that will,
2: I want to see it. Be I s- would like to see it.
3: <laughs> the cinematic event of the decade, for those who don't know, uh, Zack Snyder's cut of – Justice League. It exists. Um, I hate you. There are many <laughs> passionate people online who have been pushing for it, including now the actors in the movie have tweeted about it as yeah. well. Mm. So it, it's it, real. That to me makes me actually think that there is some sort of possible thing that like could end up on HBO Max or some streaming service. But um, I, I actually do, on a, on a slightly <laughs> more serious note and related to the Snyder Cut, I think we'll see more of kind of like fan campaigning mm. around these franchise movies. Mm-hmm. And I think it will get. Ugly in some (laughs) ways, and it will it'll just get different. I think people feel real ownership over Star Wars, over Marvel, over you know Harry Potter, and there will be a lot of conflicts between these studios that are trying to shepherd these properties and make them appeal to all quadrants or whatever, and very passionate fans who have like maybe misguided ideas about what those things should be, and I think those conflicts will get more kind of explosive and the people who are advocating around them will get more organized. Um, I don't know what that will look like, but I, I just think it'll be an interesting all-out war. It's revolution. Fun
1: that, uh, em and I had these like slightly optimistic things, and Dan was just like, "It's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna be terrible." <laughs> yeah. no, I
3: said, "I said the steiner cuts coming out." What's not optimistic? <laughs> yeah. Things are looking That's up. The most optimistic thing you can say.
0: <laughs> no, I see what you're saying. I mean, like uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Good example. Exactly.
3: Yeah. yeah, there's this kind of sense.
1: Well, but to be fair, the teeth were horrifying. <laughs> I
2: missed the teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring I feel back the old my teeth. My respect for them is like on the trash right yeah. now. What? They should have stuck to their guns. Yeah, Emma and I
3: are on Twitter every day telling them put back yeah. Sonic's old Commenting teeth. Commenting
2: on all their tweets, <laughs> like bring back the teeth.
3: Uh, if
0: someone does want to find you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, I'm at Daniel V. Jackson on Twitter. Oh, huh? Emma?
1: I'm at Stefabsky on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm at Easy Rights. The Easy is my initials.
0: Thanks, guys. I do have a quick bout of bad news. We will not be releasing a new podcast episode next week, but the good news is you can go back into our library and listen to one of the ones we already recorded. They're all great. Why not listen to our best Christmas movie of all time podcast? That's a good one, and it's extremely seasonal, featuring Esther and Emma. Sorry, Dan. You can listen to it, though. Have you?
3: I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> <too. laughs> well, uh-huh. Save it for the holiday season. Yeah, yeah. You got to be in the that's mood, That's true. Right? It's a God. special
0: treat for you God while damn you're on work. Dan. <laughs> what a fun decade. I'll see you here in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. We'll do it again. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot to look forward to in 2020, obviously. What am I looking forward to the most in 2020? Seeing all of your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It means a lot to us, so if you like to listen, let us know. We really appreciate it. All right, so podcasts just don't make themselves. I want to thank Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, and Ocean McAdams on the Thrillist side for making all this happen. Brett Kushner, David Zwick, and Emily Feld, our Group 9 fam. My podcast partner, Kai Molly Scholzim, who produced this episode and did a great job, if I do say so myself. iHeartRadio's Mangish Hatakudor. Our editor, Randy Scott Carroll, and of course, our faithful mixer, Ernie Indridap, he makes it sound great. Happy New Year. Bye.